Welcome to Pretty Much Pop, a culture podcast deconstructing Hollywood's propaganda machine and rebuilding it as a robot swan. Today's topic is TV show revivals. This is Mark Lintemeyer. You may remember me from my time just graduated from college playing with my band, studying philosophy, or perhaps from my new run playing with my band, studying philosophy with the added cast members of 70 Extra Pounds. This is Erica Spires, but an edgier, darker, more mature version. Oh, don't worry, still safe for young viewers. And I'm Brian Hurt. And I thought we were talking about church revivals. Oh, man. <laughs> oh. So, yes, we had to figure out that revivals are not actually the same thing as reboots. We're not talking about reboots. Are we talking about spinoffs or uncancellations or remakes? I don't know. I have to say, Mark, when I went to the TV Tropes webpage for revivals, I was overwhelmed by all these definitions. So what is it we're talking about? Well, according to an article that we found in defense of TV reboots and revivals, the reboot is a remake, reimagining, adaptation. And then a revival, on the other hand, is a continuation of the original or a reunion. What the actual hell? Why are there so many revivals? I pulled up a list of them so I can remind myself, and I didn't even know about half of them. It's like, oh, they revived that? I don't kind of barely remember being on the first time, and it's been on again, and I didn't even know about it. This is really a huge phenomenon. Do you normally get your TV viewing out of things like Netflix, Amazon Prime, Hulu, or do you typically go to network television and cable? Mostly streaming. The ones that were streaming, I was aware of, but the ones that were on network television, not so much. If there's not one out there thinking about it, at the very least, there's going to be an ALF reboot. That one I could not believe. Or will it be a revival? Will it be continuation? He's still living there, the same puppet with the grown-up kids <laughs> that for some reason the brother and sister still live together or something. It all depends on whether the same hand goes in the puppet or not. We'll have to see. You know, Alf, early memories, loved it. But I remember two things about Alf in particular. And one was an episode where he told the kids, wasn't it Brian? Was that the little kid? I could not tell you at this point. If I don't know, then nobody knows. <laughs> and he said, you know, at midnight, I'm going to try to get out of here. Don't let me out of this cage. And like, no matter what I say and how much I protest, then Brian thinks that it's okay to let him out of the cage because Alf eventually like convinces him, I'm totally fine. I'm totally fine. I don't know why that one stuck with me. And the other one was where Brian in his school play was singing asparagus. Asparagus, asparagus, you put it on your table. Wow. So Alf is a werewolf gremlin and this was a musical. These are things that I did not know. I can confirm that it is Brian and I'm going to call an audible here and we're just going to do a, a show about Alf because <laughs> this is so good. I haven't seen it, but I think maybe not all the way through, but Erica can, can get us there. I can sing asparagus all day long. You had some thoughts, Erica, on why we might have a hunger for this kind of thing. One of the things that I was thinking of, and then I happened to read about it in an article, so I will cite the article just so that everything's out there. My thought was, do we just love revivals because we're lonesome and these characters feel like old friends? I remember in college, there was a guy who was going through Buffy, and it was his, I don't know how many times, like going through the DVDs of Buffy. And the reason he watches it is because he gets so lonesome in college, and he was like a freshman that year, and he felt like he was spending time with his friends. And so I just thought, yeah, I mean, as we get older, 
Because the market for these revivals and nostalgia isn't necessarily the younger generation, it's typically the older generation. We may want the younger generation to watch it. Like I know one of my brothers watches a lot of revivals with his kids. So we have that nostalgic feeling. But I think it's also as we get older, we have fewer people just around us all the time. And it feels comfortable and familiar to have these people back in our lives. So that's a good way of slicing it. The reboots specifically are for the younger kids, right? Because there's a concept there, but if you have 90s production values, no way, no way are the younger kids going to stand for that. So you better just freaking reboot it. Whereas the revival is, everybody in Twin Peaks is old now, but that's okay. (laughs) I think the comfort is a big piece of it. When I eat meals by myself and I work from home and I do eat by myself a lot, I'll watch TV shows I've seen before. Like I don't want to see a new show while I'm eating my lunch. I just want to have old input. Like I'll just keep rewatching Parks and Rec or something. I don't want to expend energy focusing on something new. And I feel like revivals allow us to just kind of slip back into something that's totally familiar to us. We don't have to figure out if we like it. We don't have to figure out who the characters are and who we're rooting for and who we're rooting against and kind of what the tropes of the jokes are of the TV show. We just start watching it again. And even if it wasn't that good the first time, and even if it isn't that good the second time, it's still meeting our expectations and not requiring too much mental energy or emotional investment to start something new. I kind of feel that way about starting new podcasts. Every time I start a new one, I have to figure out if I like it and how I feel about the different people on it. That's what keeps me coming back to some of my regulars, even though I, they may not be ones I even like or love. And how about you, Mark? Yeah, so much of it just depends, when I was thinking about this, on what the nature of the show is. That what you're talking about with Buffy, it is a lot like hanging out. You know, we've talked about this in the binging episodes, that if it's really plot-driven, then a revival is going to have to continue that plot. There are good things about that. Maybe you felt like the plot was incomplete. I have the problem with X-Files that, preparing for this, forgotten that it had been revived. Like I'd watched the first half of the revived season. There are only six episodes in it, but I'd only watched three and then I just drifted out. You know, they were cute. I, I don't know. Just totally forgot about it. Was surprised that they're doing another season after that already and just started watching it. And like, okay, insofar as the episodes are self-contained monster of the week kind of things, like, yeah, that is feeling like you're slipping back into things and having the old characters there is nice. But insofar as it is continuing the plot, like, wait, what the hell's going on? Like, you can give me a really long, like, recap, but if I don't remember any of the things that they're showing in the recap, I just feel like I shouldn't be watching this now. I guess if I really care, I should go back and rewatch, you know, to kind of catch up to this point. But with a show like that, I just have no freaking idea. So with Buffy, like, I don't know how I would feel if it's like, like X-Files, it had that mix of Monster of the Week and ongoing thing, such that probably, you know, it would feel comforting enough, but I I don't know. Now we have the possibility of getting political here a little bit. I'm going to talk about this Vice article, which I read after I had had this idea that I just shared. It says, historically, when we're living in difficult times, it's always comforting to go back to programs that make us feel happy, that made us feel happy, felt comfortable, made us feel secure. That's from Preston Beckman, who was NBC's uh, must-see TV network scheduler. There's some truth to that. When we feel like we're in this fraught situation, when we feel like there's new information coming at us all the time, there is some solace in going back to something that feels like we already know what it is. We already know what to expect. 
Is this a good thing or a bad thing, though? It's neither, but what are your thoughts? It's why people watch sports a lot of the time. I've been told that every football game is actually exactly the same. And it's true that they are, but it's still, they differ to a degree, but I know exactly what I'm going to get from watching it. And there is some comfort, and that's how the next three hours are going to go. There still seems to be some connection to reviving stuff that was of some quality, right? They're not reviving shows that failed or whatever garbage they always put on in the half hour after Seinfeld. A man shits on a desk, as the joke goes, is what they put on after Seinfeld. So we haven't seen that. <laughs> I'm trying to remember the things that were in that slot <laughs> that I watched. The, there is going to be a Mad About You continuation. I <laughs> read about that. Is there going to be a Caroline in the City? Is there going to be, oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Something with Balky? Was it? <laughs> I mean, they're not all zingers, right? Like you have Full House was not a good series when it was on. It was a popular series, but it, like I don't think it was critically acclaimed and certainly Fuller House is not a, either. But you're right. There are a lot of them that are of some quality that I think our internet culture has said like, hey, this was canceled too soon. What can we do about it? So there've been crowdfunding resources and a lot of public opinion going into what comes back. I had to listen to other podcasts to get the lowdown on some of these since I'm not masochistic enough to actually watch <laughs> Fuller House even for an episode. I think another thing, though, that was really interesting that I do want to bring up from that Vice article is that it also, going back to what made us feel secure and feel comfortable and happy at one point, say the 80s, might be a very different America than we have right now. I think we do have to be careful, especially in the realms of casting. When I was looking through the pictures after reading the what I'm getting ready to tell you, I looked at pictures of just revivals, new revivals. Just I look an image search and it was just white, white, white. So Jeff Yang is the parent of Hudson Yang, who is from uh, Fresh Off the Boat. He's a contributor to CNN Opinion. He said that revivals also have the problem of limiting diversity. It's not a coincidence that by mining the nostalgic past for retreads, you strip away decades of progress in diverse casting. That caught my eye as well, Erica, and it really rang true to me. It made me think about the series that when we were kicking around the idea for this podcast got me really kind of thinking about revivals and why I was excited to talk about them, which was the arguably revival reboot of The Twilight Zone that Jordan Peele is behind. I understand it's not a narrative where we're picking up with old characters, but we are keeping the form going of telling Twilight Zone stories. And that very much is a modern product. And it very much has Jordan Peele's fingerprints all over it. And it wouldn't surprise anyone who's seen his movies to know that some of those episodes really feel like they're in the same universe. But it really draws a stark contrast to all of these things that are described in that article about, yeah, the 80s really were very much token characters when they were minority characters, or they were minority characters with a vengeance, Asian and in your face about it, and not just a character who was a whole person and also Asian. And just seeing like the picture of when Roseanne came out, I think it was a picture of that and not the Connors. And there is one black girl, like a little black girl, and everybody else is white. So it does feel like we're going back to that tokenism. And I think 
that's an important thing. I'm not saying there's not, I mean, I'm a white actor myself. I'm not saying there's not space for white actors because there certainly is. We all know that. But, but boy, I get a lot more excited now when I see something that feels like a unique story, something that's fresh and new and makes me think rather than just something that I can just put on in the background and not really pay attention to. Yeah, of course, fresh insights. One kind of continuation we haven't really talked about is would you rather see a continuation of an old show or would you rather see a new show but by the same creative team? I don't know that these are mutually exclusive, but you know, I think there's a reason that Mrs. Maisel, the new Amy Sherman Palladino thing, is like a much bigger deal than the Gilmore Girls reintroduction or you know, continuation. I agree. I think Maisel was such a fresh feeling, but it still definitely felt like Amy Sherman Palladino. But it was far more of a success for me than the Gilmore Girls revival was. Yeah, likewise. And I was thinking about that today. Tied to this idea of whether revivals are most successful when they are reviving shows that ended too early. Do shows end at the right time? Do they go on too long or just sort of hit the right amount of episodes, whether it's one or two or whatever? Or do they maybe finish too early sometimes? And that really is what gets a revival going. I'm a kind of a guilty pleasure fan of the Danny McBride shows. His last recent couple on HBO, he had a show called Vice Principals, which isn't great, but it was kind of a guilty pleasure. And it only went two seasons, and that was just about right. It didn't need to go any longer. But he's right back at it with the new show called The Righteous Gemstones. Which we have to talk about it sometime because it's my new favorite show. It's almost like vaudeville because it's the same cast of characters from Vice Principals all just doing different roles. And so let's reconfigure these people to be horrible in a slightly different way in a different setting and say something new rather than keeping a series going way longer than it needs to. And then you have the Michael Schur who does The Good Place, previously did Parks and Rec- Recreation and The Office. Like to me, that actually is more exciting to see that the showrunners are behind that. It really is weird to be a fan of showrunners now. Like, it didn't even occur to me when I was younger. Like, oh, I like that star, or I like that whoever. But now I'm following people who run shows to know that I'm going to want to watch something that they did. Yeah, you're totally right. With these series, with these revivals coming back, oftentimes, maybe we get one season or two more seasons of a show that we previously loved. And there are certainly ones that I've been really excited about. I was, for example, very excited about the Gilmore Girls revival. It was a little disappointing, but I still enjoyed it. I wonder that when we get like one extra season or maybe two extra seasons, we're not getting the world building that we got from the previous, uh, like from the first iteration. I think a lot of us like that. We like living in that world rather than having a neatly packaged one season arc, which is what a lot of shows are now, which I also love. The the one season arcs are great because you know that the writers know exactly where they're going to go and there's not a lot of chaff. But in these revivals, I feel like we're wanting to capture something that is really hard to recapture. Yeah, I generally am in favor of the finish things up with a movie or a short season kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So we might as well get into a little more into some specifics. Arrested Development, I know a lot of people weren't crazy about sort of the new format that they used for the revived Netflix season with longer departing from the original 20-some minute, half hour, including commercials, format to like, now we're just going to focus on one character and then on the next character. I didn't mind that. And I know it was done for just because they couldn't get all the actors. The the actors have moved on to bigger and better things. And they probably just should have stopped with that (laughs) rather than let's remix it to the old format and then try to keep going from that. 
it was definitely already a step down with this revival thing and there were weird things about it, but at least they kind of made a point about it, about the kids being so much older and made jokes about it. Brian, this was supposed to be the thing you were most excited to talk about. In part because I love the original so much. I think I was sort of wearing rose-colored glasses when I did see season four, which was the long episodes that you're talking about, which was then recut and I watched it again and I didn't think it was successful. And the second revival really didn't do much for me at all. Was that that last one that just came out? That's right. Which I didn't get through. It's a really a fine balance to do a show about such unlikable people because they do have to have a likable quality. I guess they behave in unlikable ways, but you still watch them for some reason. And I think we ran out of reasons to watch them as the show continued. I think they hung a lampshade on how the characters aged in kind of a clumsy way. I, I kind of wish they had done what Hot American Summer did and not just, if I'm not mistaken, they just didn't <laughs> refer to it at all, that these no. adults were playing teenagers. And sometimes they made it look even more ridiculous. <laughs> That's right. The wigs got worse. Yeah, wasn't there a scene early in there where a teenager played by a teenager goes, has her first period and comes out as an adult actress. <laughs> yes, it's hilarious. That was a very successful revival because we just had one movie and it had so much promise to give us more, but it couldn't, right? It was just a thing. Enough people got together and really had enough love for it to say, there are things we didn't tell yet, so let's go and do it. After two and a half seasons of Arrested Development, I'm not really sure anything more needed to be told. Okay, let's reconfigure the blues in some other horrible way and let them be bad people. Did we need to? It really is the stories that were left untold or that stopped too soon that I think are the most fertile ground for a revival. I think it would be the same decision when you're writing books. I mean, again, having a fresh idea always seems best, but there's a reason why even a regular TV show has more than one episode. Like if you're going to insist on purely self-contained stories, then either everything should be like the Twilight Zone or just make movies and don't ever sequelize anything. So if you're okay with the idea of a story continuing, then you should theoretically be okay with a story continuing even more. Or 10 years passed and you take up the story again and see what's going on. It just depends on the individual story, whether it makes any sense to do that or not. So as long as it's using reasonable storytelling conventions, from what I understand of the full house versus fuller house thing, that is just an unbelievable abomination of the original show was a guy's wife dies and he has three kids. Well, for the new show, one of those kids, her husband dies and she has three kids and for some reason invites her sister and other people to live with that. Like, it's just totally it makes no sense. You would not write a sequel book of this sort. So don't make this as a show either. Oh, I agree. And also with Fuller House, which I do admit I watched the first season of, I was living alone in Paris at the time and it it offered me comfort, even though I knew it was terrible. But because I knew the adult characters, I found myself a lot more interested in what they were doing. And every time they cut to the new Disney-fied kids, I just wasn't interested at all. And I wasn't that interested in the adult characters. I was just kind of watching it. That's how I felt when they continued with the Brady Bunch and recast Cindy. And every time that woman opened her mouth, I was like, shut up. You're not Cindy. <laughs> I think it was funny that when they, so there was just an endless stream of attempts to continue that and redo it, is that a different person wasn't around. Like the Brady Bunch variety hour that I remember watching at the time that was supposed to be like their in character. 
it's not the actors doing a show. It's supposed to be those kids have, you know, the silver platters did so well that they got a variety show. Uh, and so they're this totally different format, but they had a fake Jan for that. And then for that Christmas movie, they had a fake Cindy. And then for the subsequent show, The Brady's, it was a fake Marsha. They had the real Cindy back. <laughs> yeah, I tried to watch an episode of The Brady's and it was just totally unwatchable. Also, I should make a similar mention to uh, Still the Beaver. Did you know about that show? <laughs> oh my, wait, did that come out in the 90s? It was in the 80s. In the 80s. Well, I feel like I remember this. So people that were cast as kid actors, there's no guarantee they're going to be good adult actors. <laughs> That's one thing. And then what you were just pointing out is that they were still trying to be a show that would be open for kids. So it's a lot about their kids. But like, why would you care about the kids of these fictional kids? Unless they found somebody really exceptional, which I'm pretty sure they didn't in either the Brady's or the Beaver case. Right. You have to have exceptional kid actors that make you excited about that story. I agree. They haven't done a really great job of that. But maybe there's an inherent difficulty with either finding that or maybe the writing is poor. I always feel badly when the actors get blamed for it. It seems like this thing that you were talking about, Erica, with wanting to nostalgically relive something that seems a lot more frequent with stuff that's not seriously serial. So there's an illusion to any sitcom, to most sitcoms, I should say, that this is just the way the characters are, and you're just hanging out with those characters. And they might evolve a little over the seasons, but like not too much because you don't want them to become unrecognizable in the way that the Game of Thrones characters did, or there's the Wheel of Time is going to come out in a similar, you know, as a Game of Thrones ripoff thing. And I remember from those books, the whole point is that it's like a bunch of teenagers, kind of like any number of teenage shows that you might like, but that just become totally unrecognizable by, you know, book 10. They're, some of them are just completely evil or filled with their power or have gone in different directions. So that would not satisfy continuing that kind of story. It's like continuing one of those old sitcoms. It's Mork and Mindy, the continuation. <laughs> except Mork is dead and Mindy and her family are sad about it. And they just have a whole season about that. Would you like to see that revival? No. <laughs> I feel like we have this, a similar problem with character arcs with all the shows. Like I'm straying away once again from revivals, but all the multiverse stories that are happening across all the genres, I like that for a time and then I get really tired of it. And maybe it's because I want to feel tied to a character and I can't do that because it keeps changing so drastically and I can't get a hold on it. What do you guys think of that? What do you mean? Like the multiple arrows and the different DC iterations? Right. So I was thinking the Flash. I was thinking, because I used to watch a lot of that and I really loved the idea of the multiverse. It's not that I didn't like the show anymore. I just kind of lost track of it just like Star Trek in the mirror universe, right? Sometimes I'm just like, oh, I just want to follow one character. Why do I have to follow that one character, but in multiple forms? I feel like maybe there's an emotional tie that's lost. Similar to when we try to follow characters from revivals who have changed completely. You see, I think there's something to that, Erica, and it's maybe my ignorance of some of these revivals is actually willful that I am maybe not even seeking some of them out because if I don't watch them, they can't pollute my memory of how I remember something being the first time. Like seriously, I walked out of Back to the Future 2 just like wishing I hadn't seen it. Like that didn't happen. If I never saw this movie, 
then Marty McFly sneaking around Marty McFly in episode one like wouldn't have been a thing, but it is now because I saw it and I want to forget it. Kind of like how I felt about the sequel to Kill a Mockingbird. So like that's not Atticus Finch. Like that's someone else. This is fan fiction. So if you don't watch these revivals, then it ends where it ended in the 80s or the 90s. And you can just be happy with your knowledge of, well, I guess that's how X-Files ends. Or it was maybe I saw the movie that made no sense. And that's how X-Files ends. So I guess it's got to end somewhere. My husband said one of the funniest things he ever heard me say or one of the things that made him lo- love me the most was when I said something about, oh, you know, the three Indiana Jones movies. And he said, Erica, there were four. And I go, no, three. I believe if you look <laughs> on the spines of them, isn't Raiders of the Lost Ark like 20 or something? Because it was another one of those George Lucas. So the young Indiana Jones chronicles all count. <laughs> oh, man, I hadn't thought of that. They retconned the title of the first one to be Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's like... Come on, man. I remember what I remember. (laughs) Don't give me that. So I don't mind world building in general. And I think that that is what makes it worth, you know, when you're talking about stories untold, like what else is going on in this universe? I'm thinking about spinoffs here. Babylon 5 was one that had the opportunity to have a movie or come back in some way. And Michael Straczynski that ran it was like, one of the main actors is dead. I don't want to do this anymore. But he did try twice to have other shows in that same Babylon 5 universe, just like this one's 200 years later, and this one is 500 years later. And whatever you thought of those particular attempts, they were not successful, but it's still a better idea in general. I don't mind the idea of world building laterally in this way. And so I see some of the time travel stuff as actually more like that. Like, you didn't know that while Bard McFly was doing on this, just behind the bushes, something else was going on, also in Barb involving Marty, because that's just the way reality is. It's multifaceted. You could always revisit some situation through a time travel or some other recontextualization to say more about it. I think we should have Marty McFly inserted to it in all these different movies, like into The Godfather. And there he is sort of sneaking along with his <laughs> long coat on. Those are really different things to have something set in the same universe. And that's really what I think of those Star Trek shows. You know, there's a big difference between Discovery, which is set so much earlier than this new Picard series that's coming out, which really does feel like a a bit of a revival to Next Generation. I mean, it's the same character and presumably a character arc that we've been following for some time now. Presumably. We don't know, like, really what his role is in this. But I just don't even remember, like, there were a bunch of movies with Next Generation people in it. And what was his status by the end? I'm pretty sure Kirk was dead, but was he (laughs) retired? Spoiler alert. Way to go. In that universe, maybe. (laughs) Yeah. Like, who knows? Whatever that nexus was. But we don't know what this new show is going to be exactly or what the focus is. Or if it's going to be in the TV show, he gets a degenerative brain condition. So this could all be some sort of crazy flashing back from whatever syndrome he has on his deathbed. Who knows? We'll see what happens. It'll be the Brady's all over again where Bobby is in a wheelchair. Just like that. I don't believe it. I think it's going to be great. I'm just going to believe it's going to be great. It's Patrick Stewart. Why would he sign on to do it if he didn't want to? We'll have to ask him about it. What are some revivals that have worked well for you, in your opinion? What are your favorites? What are ones that have disappointed you? Mark? See, I don't even know if the Deadwood thing counts as a revival. It's a movie to wrap things up, but it's a number of years later. 
sure, it did the job. I wish they just made it several years earlier because it doesn't benefit. By this time, I didn't remember. I had watched the three seasons of Deadwood. I didn't remember what was going on. So I did go back and watch the final episode of the third season. And sure enough, the conflict that was raised there, they kind of, without giving too much away, but the antagonist for that season leaves under sort of a deception. Well, okay, for this movie, that antagonist comes back and they have to deal with the fallout. It was satisfying in that it brought back this whole very elaborate, that's the whole reason they stopped. It was just too expensive to have this ensemble of great characters working in this highly designed environment for that much longer. It wasn't popular in the way that Game of Thrones was, that they could just throw endless money at it. All in all, I think that worked pretty well. Is there one that didn't for you? We, we've already talked about the... Uh, the Brady's? Your favorite? Arrested Development is what I had in mind. But the Brady's, I think, yeah, since you bring it up, is I think is a great example of maybe showing what was wrong with the first one, right? That I'm sure when they did the Brady's, they thought these jokes are pretty much exactly the same tone of the first one. But the whole point is we enjoyed those first ones as kids. Why would we enjoy those same kind of corny jokes as adults? You're creating something that is based on nostalgia, but it's still aimed at its original audience. Maybe this is actually the problem with Star Wars, too, that, you know, Lucas said, I'm not sad that you don't like the prequels. These movies are aimed at kids. Don't tell us what these movies are, George. (laughs) I'll tell you what these movies are. (laughs) This isn't your religion. This is my religion. (laughs) Dummy. How about you, Brian? I am going to give you all science fiction answers. I think that a very successful revival was Doctor Who in 2005. The show just sort of petered out, and then they made an American TV movie that was garbage, and then it went into development hell for a long time. When it came back, its first season wasn't great, but once it found its feet, there were still a lot of good stories to tell, and there were people who were really devoted to that universe and that format and realized, boy, we have a budget that we never had before. So maybe they could just do things that telling stories in the 2000s that they couldn't tell in the latter half of the 20th century. I really am so happy with how Doctor Who turned out. I mentioned Twilight Zone earlier. Honestly, I was not a big fan of the Jordan Peele reboot. I think it's trying pretty hard to be culturally relevant, but still the Twilight Zone. And I think the Twilight Zone is kind of played out. If anyone asked me what I thought of it, I would tell them to go watch Black Mirror. Something that's a little more in the know and is just speaking to me as a science fiction fan who likes... Why is it played out? I don't know if it was because I was a dumb kid or I was watching things that were made in the late 50s and early 60s. But to be watching for a twist and to be watching for the highly moralistic comeuppance that characters get, it helped that I wasn't that good at watching science fiction. And maybe people in the late 50s and early 60s weren't trained to watch it. It also helped that for four of the five seasons, it was just a half hour show. And you didn't have to sit through that much of it. It was actually a 22 minute show, right? To watch 60 minutes of, oh boy, well, we're going to have to sit through this to wait for the twist. In some cases, the writing is better than others, or the acting is better. And there are some okay episodes. There are some absolute stinkers this time around. And one that's kind of a meta deconstructed one that is self-aware that it's a Twilight Zone episode, which is actually kind of clever. I don't really recommend it. I thought when they rebooted it in 1985, when I was in high school, when I was a youngster, There were still some good stories to tell, and I enjoyed that still pretty well, but it really isn't doing anything for me now. What about you, Erica? 
So for me, I would say my number one that I was so excited about and also delivered was Twin Peaks The Return. It wasn't without its faults, in my opinion. There were times when I was definitely very frustrated and I wanted more answers, but that's exactly what the original was as well. So would I have been satisfied if it wrapped everything up? Probably not. Looking back on it, boy, that was a fun journey. And also episode eight of Twin Peaks The Return was just something like I had never seen on television before. I was speechless afterwards. So for me, David Lynch did an amazing job of finishing up the series, or at least for now. Maybe the way he intended to, that he wasn't able to when the series was originally on. Was it canceled the first time or did it come to an end? I think it was canceled, but he originally, like, he wasn't either directing or writing anymore. I can't remember, but like, he had creative differences. So it totally took a left turn during the second season because of that. So he then got to come back and, like, create what he wanted to create again, which is just as weird and wonderful as I wanted. This is one I wanted to ask you about because I really, really like the original and I watched it at the time and I decided not to watch the revival because I wasn't sure how I was going to like it. Do you recommend it or don't you? I mean, like, here's the thing. You may hate it, but I feel like isn't that the case with a lot of his stuff anyway? Like there were episodes that were utterly frustrating in how long they stuck with a version of a character that we loved and you just thought, oh my God, when are you ever going to go back to normal? And when can we see this person? Because you wanted that satisfaction of it. And he spent a lot of time, as much time as he wanted to do that. So that kind of stuff sometimes could be very frustrating. On the other hand, we got some new characters. We got some weird twists. We got some nods to some old favorites. And in the end, I was pretty satisfied. So thanks for the definitive answer. I really appreciate that. <laughs> It's hard. I know. I rarely give a definitive answer. I don't worry about it. There's some beautiful television to be had in it. I will say that. If you just want to go with the nostalgia of what you liked, then don't watch it. I also wanted to mention Queer Eye. The revival of Queer Eye, I think, is absolutely fantastic because they have also revised that in such a way that it includes not only men, but involves women and people who are queer that they help. And it's not just aimed at straight men. So it definitely feels like it's updated for today, but it still has the heart that it used to have. Things that haven't worked for me, I had a harder time with this because I realized I went ahead and put in X-Files and Will and & Grace. And the reason I put those in are they are two shows that I watched earlier on and I started them and I just didn't get far with either of them. So to me, they must count as, well, they didn't work so well because I didn't finish. And I think it's maybe because it felt too much... I don't know, I got bored with X-Files and then with Will and Grace, it just felt like the same thing. It didn't feel timely anymore. For Will and Grace, I'm going to defer to this other podcast that I listened to, Remakes, Reboots, and Revivals. It's a man and a woman, both of whom are gay. They give a really good explanation of why they think it actually is still relevant. And those characters coming in at a time in the Trump era makes a lot of sense, like to be able to comment on what's going on now. I have no idea <laughs> myself. It's not a show that I was super into at the time, so. Yeah, I think the part of it is just that I'm no longer really that excited by that format anymore. Brian, what do you think as a big X-Files fan about the possibilities? So I haven't, again, watched this most recent season yet. Have you seen any of that? I saw two episodes of the first reboot season, and I just didn't know why they were making them. Yes. It was a total bummer to me. Okay, well, I'm toward the end of the first reboot season. I just watched a couple more in the last couple days. Not reboot. Shame on you. Put a nickel in the swear jar. 
And they have introduced again two potential replacement characters. I think very self-consciously a young Mulder type and a young Scully type that the actual Mulder and Scully are interacting with. And it seems like one possible way the show can go. I can't say whether this is what happens is as they tried near the end of the first run of the show to pass the baton off to somebody else. It feels like X-Files should be the kind of show that it's just not essentially about these investigators, that it's about exploring all the weird, crazy stuff. And so if they could just get away with doing this and establish these new, you know, then this is something that could run for generation after generation. You would never run out of schlocky stories like this. I thought they did this already. They tried, yes. It was the end of the original run. Didn't they bring in some new agents who ended up, or did they end up going into the uh, spinoff series? Millennium? I didn't think. I'm talking without knowledge. So are these new characters named Plop and Dwight Jr.? I got to pull in the office again. When in doubt, (laughs) talk about mistakes. Mistakes were made. All right. I want to know what shows you guys would like to see revived. And no going towards anything that actually is already. So no Breaking Bad, whether you want it or not, it's happening. So what do we have? As I rethink now, I think because of the aliens and Mork and Mindy, they age backward. So if they had a kid who could do a Robin Williams impression, he would be the new Mork. And then his child, Mirth, who is Jonathan Winters, who's also dead, if they got a 30-year-old, some Jonathan Winters type, there you go. There's promise for you. (laughs) Sneaking around in the background of the Benjamin Button story. (laughs) So that's a terrible idea. What's your terrible (laughs) idea, Erica? Mine is, I'm sure, a terrible idea, but I was so sad at the ending of Ally McBeal, and I thought it was at least the last season that just wasn't very good at all. And I think it was primed to end with Robert Downey Jr. and Calista Flockhart's characters getting together, and then he got arrested, and then they couldn't do it, and so then they like threw in John Bon Jovi, and then they had this plot twist where she had a daughter, but didn't know she had a daughter. It was awful, and I would really like for them to be able to fix that. But then again, who knows with all those characters? It's been a while. It's been a while. It'd be a very awkward revival, I think. I had no idea that's where that show went. Oh, yeah. I think I watched that with my wife into that, but I know at the point where the original romantic lead gets brain cancer, like, no, that was the shark jumping of that show as far as I was concerned. The show I want to see revived is actually on right now, and I want to see it revived in like a decade or maybe 15 years from now. I understand that we're not getting any more Fleabag, that Phoebe Waller-Bridge is done with it, and she gave us two seasons, and I want to see that character when she's older and has gone through some stuff and has a new six-episode thing that happens in her life. But I don't see it now. I want to see it years and years from now. So that's not my terrible idea. That's my brilliant idea. Good choice. And they'd have to rename it because her self-esteem would not be so low, perhaps, at that point. Or it could be worse. God knows what they'll name it. (laughs) Old flea bag. Well, that's probably enough, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. I think we squeezed out a lot of info on that. Maybe this uh, topic will be revived at some later point, but uh, Mm -hmm. this is good. Thanks, folks. We're going to switch over to our talk just for the supporters. So, so long, everybody. Bye. So long, or is it? 
Pretty Much Pop is part of the Partially Examined Life podcast network. Please visit partiallyexaminedlife.com. And it's also presented by openculture.com. Get more Pretty Much Pop at prettymuchpop.com. Get bonus content for every episode, and you get to hear the episodes in advance of everyone else at patreon.com slash prettymuchpop.